welcome to episode four of Drinking the Kool-Aid with Lila and Naima. This week... Enneagram, baby. We're talking about the Enneagram. I am the one presenting the topic this week, and I really don't know much about it apart from, you know, the research that I've done. So I'm really curious to... Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this episode to learn a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So here's what I know. So first of all, Enneagram means like nine writing, nine something. It's a geometric figure with nine points and there's all these kind of like lines crisscross. That's something I need a lot more information on. Yeah. Um, and so there's nine personality types if you're following the Enneagram model and when you take the test or whatever, you see that you have a dominant type. So the Enneagram website says, it's not to say that you can't identify with other parts of the personalities or other personalities. It's just that that is like your dominant one and that that dominant type emerges from childhood. So it's a type that reflects the totality of all childhood factors, including genetics. That's another thing I want to hear more about. Um, And unlike labels used in psychiatry, the numbers used in Enneagram provide an unbiased shorthand way of indicating a lot about a person without being pejorative. Like their logic is, this is a number, it doesn't have a positive or a negative value, it's just that way. That's interesting. And it's widely used in business management is what Wikipedia has told me. So like companies will use it for workplace interpersonal dynamics, which I'm also really curious about. And also in spirituality, mostly as a path to essence and enlightenment. And both can aid in self-awareness, self-understanding, and self-development. And also it says on Wikipedia that this is not widely accepted in relevant academic uh, communities. So, but then again, I think that really doesn't matter so much as long as it's being used in a smart way. And just a little bit of background, what I've seen is like the history actually of this is pretty disputed. Um, Some people say it's all started in the fourth century with a Christian uh, mystic in Alexandria, but the most widely accepted um, person as like the originator of this is this man named Oscar Ichasso, who is Bolivian. Um, who developed it and coined the term. Though actually, there's this other guy, G.I., I don't even know if I'm going to say this right, G.I. Gurdjieff, who died in 1949, who made the word Enneagram and the geometric figure, but not the personality types. So I'm kind of curious about this link between geometry and personality. Mm-hmm. What is going on there? So I'm very curious to hear what... Robert says is like the definitive one or the one that's used. Um, oh, Robert is our expert this week who's going to come and talk to us, who's a certified Enneagram person, which I'm also curious to know, what does that mean? Does that mean he uses yeah. it in companies? Does that mean he uses it for training? A lot of stuff. I'm going to just read a quick recap of the types. So oh, yes, there's so nine types, right? Uh, type one is principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. Type two is generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, and possessive. Type three is adaptable, excelling, driven, and image-conscious. Type four is expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Type five is perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. 
Type 6 is engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. Type 7 is spontaneous, versatile, acquisitive, and scattered. Type 8 is self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. And type 9 is receptive, reassuring, complacent, and resigned. So I'm kind of curious, you know, if just listening to that, there's already kind of like something something that comes up for our listeners or even for you of being like, oh, this is a good type. This is a bad type. Or this is what (laughs) I immediately identify as. Like all the ones you just read kind of had like two good qualities and two kind of Too bad. Yeah. And that's another thing. That's the main thing that I find so interesting is that there's this thing stress slash disintegration and security slash integration which is like they say the stress and security points are the types connected by the lines of the enneagram figure so the geometry comes back in and are believed by some to influence a person in more adverse or uh, relaxed circumstances so like someone with a primary one type for example this is what wikipedia says may begin to think feel and act more like someone with a four type when stressed or a seven type when relaxed so I find that really yeah. interesting to see. But that's really weird to me. Uh, okay, I'm, I'll get to my with my yes. analysis. No, I mean, handing over the mic to you. Okay, so I'll start by saying I had heard of the Enneagram for years because actually the friend that introduced Naima and I, shout out Jack, um, was fascinated by it for a, a long time and wrote a play that we did in college that was called The Bad Two. Anyway, so I've been sort of loosely aware of it for years and I feel like I have in the past taken the test and then never really like remembered or understood anything about it. It was a vague awareness. As you know, love to take a personality test, but then I immediately become flustered by these tests as well. So one thing that you hadn't touched on, but I'll raise as a question is like the way that you find out your number, there's this test you can take and you you answer a series of questions kind of on that same sliding scale. Yeah. And I think there's actually like five. It's like, it's like accurate, sort of accurate, neutral, not super accurate, totally false. Like, so even though I like the idea of a spectrum for answers, I find it really hard to sometimes place myself on that spectrum in a way that's like honest, where I don't feel like I'm gaming the system or something. So I'm, I'm very curious about any test that involves like a self analysis Mm-hmm. And like, because everybody's defining things in different ways. Like, yeah, there was a couple of questions like other people think this about me. And I was like, I don't know what the f- people think about me. <laughs> yeah. Aren't I supposed to not think about that? Yeah. Um, so I would be really curious to ask our expert uh, as someone who is a practitioner of it. Is that part of his job is to help people place themselves on those questions? Or do people just totally self-identify and then he helps them interpret the results? That's one thing I want to ask about for sure. Um Another thing that immediately comes to mind is anytime we're, to, we're looking at a set number of boxes, I get more skeptical. Like there's nine types, you know, and I, again, I know that there is a little more nuance you touched on with the sort of like the points of the shape um, bleeding into each other. So I'll be curious for him to also explain that to us. Like are all of humanity in these nine categories or how do we see the nuance more? And then, yeah, that idea of the geometric shape is really interesting to me. So Again, this may not make a lot of sense to our listeners until we have Robert explain it better, but this idea that like you have your primary type and the type that you, if you're, if you're, um, I know you have, you can have wings too, but the wings can only be the the points like next to you. Mm -hmm. And then if you're leaning into your, to use the human design, to your like not self theme, you, you tend towards, I suppose, the negative qualities of a type across the shape from you 
or if you're really living your thing, you lean into the points of this other type. And so I don't understand what it means to be like, oh, if I'm a really great four, then I'm going to be more like a seven. It starts to feel like you're like ranking. Well, how could your best qualities be somebody else, be a different set, but then somebody else's best qualities could be your set? I don't get that really. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how, how yeah, that like, works. I want to know how they decided that these types are the most connected and what kind of research went into creating this or if it's sort of arbitrary or mystical. Like I will say I've always been really attracted to number. I want to, I hope we do an episode on numerology at some point. Mm. And I don't, I have no, no justification for this. I just always kind of felt like different numbers had different like vibes and energies and meanings. <laughs> and I would be so curious to look at all the different, like look at Enneagram, look at numerology, see if any of these numbers seem to carry the same like meaning to people across modalities. That's a whole other fucking topic. But um, yeah, the idea of it being related to geometry is fascinating. Yes. And um, did the geometry come first or did the yeah. types lead into the geometry? And then so, I'll raise my last mm-hmm. question that I'll raise, which I want to ask him is like, I have now, okay. So I, we both took this test in preparation for this episode. I had taken the same test not that long ago. I realized on a whim when I was, I think talking to Jack and I got a different result. Hmm. Yeah, so, so how does that evolve? Yeah, and so that's a question I have. And When you take the test, as opposed to just being like, this is your type, it breaks down for all nine types, the percentage you match yes, that and type. That's, and that's to me add is up absurd. to more than 100. No, it's yeah, great, exactly. but it's also like I got like two types within one, per- like one I was Same. like 97%, the other Same. one was 98. So all of a sudden my Same. dominant type is that one because it's exactly. 1% higher. Yeah. That is one of my biggest questions. So I got... I got like huge, super high percentages in several of them. And I wonder Mm -hmm. A, if that's normal. B, if that again has something to do with like how I'm self-identifying on this test. Yeah. Or is there such a thing as a double type? Yes. A lot of questions and I cannot wait to hear your results. I know. And I can't wait to hear what Robert has to tell us about our results. If he'll Mm -hmm. indulge us. Um, should we really quickly tell the listeners like a little bit about the types of questions they ask you Sure. when you take this test? Because I think that's interesting too. There were a lot I noticed about like security. Do you think about the future? Do you plan a lot? Yeah. Um, normal people think I'm weird was one. Yeah. Some of them have to do with how I texted you last night while I was taking it. Name is a morning person. I'm a night person. So I took it at like two in the morning no, I took it at like midnight and then I texted her. My favorite question was, if I'm honest, I feel that I'm a bit better than other people. Oh yeah, that was one of the questions. Oh right, they're not questions. Sorry, they're statements. And then like we mm. said, you rank them on a scale of like, how accurate is this statement to me? Is this something I would never say or think about myself? Is it a little? Is it kind of neither here nor there? Or do I like very much identify? That question cracked me up. It feels like a trap. It feels like some of the questions I look at them and I go, okay, "You are so maybe I agree." Suspicious. Who is trying to trap you? Nobody is trying Me. to trap you. I, I know, but it's like you can see a question and be like, "I know that a good person would be like, no," but or like you know that answering why? this is going to give you, you a result that's moral... like you're a shitty person. No, why are you ascribing a moral value to this random question? If that's something that you feel, feel it. <laughs> Okay, fine. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> no one's 
Sure, chat me. Get that in your head. So yeah, questions like that. And I don't know if these, because we took the same test on this website called Truity, but there's also a test on the Enneagram website that you have to pay for. So yes. How do we feel about anything that has a paywall attached to it mm -hmm. in terms of these modalities? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's got something to do with my type. Let's get into it. Yes. Get in. Yes. What is your type? Tell me everything. Okay. I got a 98% match with type eight, mm -hmm. which is known as the challenger. I got a 91% match to eight. There you go. So we're similar on that front again. This mm -hmm. whole point of this fucking podcast, we're here to challenge shit. Then I also got a 95% match with type three, mm -hmm. the achiever. Threes want to be successful and admired by other people and are very conscious of their public image. And then I got a 94% match with number four, the individualist. Fours want to be unique and to live a life authentically and are highly attuned to their emotional experience. I'll tell you what I got the least match in. Yes. 44% <laughs> number nine, the peacemaker. Oh, that, that was my least percent too. 48% <laughs> match number nine. <laughs> I'm not here to make peace. Likes guys. to keep a low profile and let people around them set the agenda. Fuck nope. No. <laughs> Okay, give me okay. yours. My, I also got three big standouts. Um, type one is my dominant type. Ooh. Um, type yeah, one can sense. be thought of as the perfectionist. Got a 98% match on that. And then my second match was uh, type three, a 94% match. And then my third one was type eight, 91% match, the challenger. So, Dude, okay, we got two of the same three. So your main type, you said, is an eight? Yeah, I got eight, so, three, four, and you got one, three, eight. All three of those types do resonate to me a little bit, even just on the name alone. Individualist, achiever, challenger. I think that does kind of resonate. But then they all could, in a way. That's the thing. I feel like, again, this goes back to my questioning. Is like, what's the confirmation bias at play here? What's the, like... Like, if you could give me any three of these words and I'd find a way to tell you that's what I'm like, you know, you know, mm, I felt more like right away. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm more of a three reading some of the descriptions. Yeah. But achiever um, and perfectionist but sound very but I, similar in a way. Those seem like they would yes. go together. Why numbers? Why quizzes? Why? Mm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What? Why is why that modality behind all those modalities, yeah. you know? But no, but it is interesting. And I am also interested to see as we go through, like if we start to see that there's something across modalities mm, do they that point in the same direction. And if so, maybe we see these all as just different tools to the same ends or... But. Yes. Yeah. Chicken or the egg. I think chicken or the egg is a big image in this yeah. podcast. But I don't know. A lot of questions and I'm... I'm still unsure if I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, so I'm really looking forward to yes. Robert coming in here and clarifying things and teaching Me us. Me too. I'm super excited. Stay tuned for the next part of this episode coming up. Robert Mulhall and um, I am not an expert in the Enneagram but I love and 
it is one of many things that I've studied in life to for my both my own personal um, deepening as well as trying to understand the world around me. We're so happy to have you on today. We were just talking right before you um, came on, Lila. You were saying I'm so excited because this is a topic I really. Heard, don't know much about yeah I've heard about it for years and years I've taken the test before but I've never really mm-hmm. understood what my results mean at all and I think uh, like all the people I know who like have taken the test are all very they very much ascribe to it so in some ways I'm really excited to know better um I think maybe we could start if if you could, giving us maybe like a bit of background. What is it? How did it come to be? I did some Wikipedia sleuthing, but you can't trust the internet, so we'll trust you. I don't know if you should do that, but, and I'll also say like the, you know, I've been, I first got connected with the Enneagram many, many, many years ago and then had no second connection until a few years ago and really um, started to explore it as part of my own personal development, but also when I was working as an executive coach and organizational consultant to see how this could work for individuals and their development, as well as teams and sort of systems change. And I do not feel like an expert. I feel like I've scratched the surface on this thing. There's like, I have, I have books and reference materials here because there's so much in this. And I think that's to your point about people seem to really get into it. There's a depth to the Enneagram that you can just fall into and be, Mm. uh, you can explore for your whole life and still be discovering new things. That's my experience. So I think that's why people, um, yeah, why people fall in love with it. I think that's one of the things that's come up with Lila and I in this podcast is kind of like an innate distrust of things that are too simple. You know, if it's like, check this box and here's what it is. I'm like, there's no way you can encompass the human condition in these like four things. But as soon as something's a little bit more complicated, I'm like, okay, tell me more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. The the Enneagram definitely does that. And when I did my training, they put up this diagram and they said it was um, spiritual psychological and somatic and i just loved how they would speak to that sort of wholeness that's that's the one way i kind of continuously think about the the enneagram is at its core it's trying to help us remember that we are inherently whole already not broken not flawed not missing anything that we are inherently whole and complete and that the enneagram is bringing us back to that wholeness and then through that individual experience of wholeness, we can fall into a greater sense of non-separation or oneness with those around us. Mm. And through that journey, and what would it be like if we were to move through the world and see less separation, right? Less other, less you over there that looks like this, less me over here that looks like this. And then I get very passionate about how that might start to how do we apply that to the very deep injustices we have in the world? What would it be like if the police forces in the United States of America um, could operate from that lens? Mm. Wouldn't Maybe we wouldn't be having um, the conversation that we're having right now in Minnesota. Yeah, because that's the thing is like somebody may look completely different from you, but be the same type. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. And that the more you know yourself and are comfortable with yourself, the less you feel threatened by other people, right. you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. We don't, we often lash out at the things in others that we dislike most in ourselves or from a place of insecurity or whatever. So I, I appreciate that idea that if you can feel a sense of wholeness and get right with yourself, you probably will be acting out less on the world around you. Somebody said, and for full disclosure, I'm Irish. So get the whole hunch. <laughs> We've got the broad spectrum. Here. Yeah. Um, but somebody said to me recently, uh, whatever is in front of you that is causing you discomfort is what is not fully integrated within you. Mm. And so we often, the Enneagram, like it's got these nine sort of points um, on the Enneagram. And a lot of people can, we've got such a, um, to your point earlier, we're, we're trying to take very complex things and make them so digestible and simple. And there's, that's can be really helpful to a point but if we stay in that place of simplicity and don't unfold back then into the complexity of it, I think we, we miss the richness. So with the Enneagram, there are the nine points. And to say that I am a type three, first of all, is not great language because then you're orbiting mm. your, who you are and your sense of identity. And the Enneagram is saying, maybe the language is I lead with type three, right? I lead mm. life with type three rather than I am type three. It's like the English language is terrible at this. It makes everything so uh, sort of possessive. So in, oh. in Irish, we say, which is hunger is upon me. But in English, mm. we say, I am hungry. Yeah. And in French, you say, I have hunger. Right. Yeah. J'ai faim. Mm -hmm. And right. it's like, it's transitory. You're not going to be hungry. For Same in Spanish. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. there's a spaciousness in languages that the English language often doesn't give us. And the Enneagram is trying to help us have so personally, I lead with type three, but I am not type three. I am so much than that. I am all types. And I, I will show up as all of these different types at different moments, uh, different moments of stress or diff different moments of ease. I will show up with di as different numbers. And it's never that I'm only leading with type three. There'll be flavorings of four and seven and eight in there all of the time because we're human beings and mm -hmm. we don't work as like ones and zeros like computers do yeah because that's one of the things that came up when we were doing uh when we did our tests was both of us had very high percentages on two types mm -hmm. so it was like how can i say i am this type yeah. when when i yeah when i almost fully matched up with this other one another one yeah so then that's interesting to be like okay i lead with this type can we back up for one second? Because I realized we didn't even really define what oh, yeah. is the Enneagram. We're already talking about the philosophy behind it. But for those who have no clue what we're talking about, could you maybe give us like just a brief? Yeah. What I would say about like, what is the Enneagram? It's, you know, it's history is even sort of clouded in this, like, where did this come from? Right. There's, yeah. there's you can read about in uh, this um, guy in Chile in the sixties seemed to be like working with it. And then, couple of Americans came down and started like learn from him and they brought it back to the United States. And, uh, but then there was this guy, Gurdjieff, who was a philosopher based in the United Kingdom. Uh, he was either, I think he was Russian or, or Polish. And he, he, he had the symbol of the Enneagram, but not actually the sort of framework and the way of understanding of it. So there's this sacred geometry that seems to be shared Yes, we want to hear a lot more about the geometry. <laughs> and I'm, I, you might have to have a second get on from the geometry, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but you start to, you actually see these patterns. Um, like one of the oldest patterns of that sacred geometry is, I think it's 1,000 years old. And it's somewhere in France. It's in one of the churches in France. 
And so it's like, so it was what was maybe rediscovered in the 1960s maybe was from a knowledge that we had much, much before and we lost it um, mm. as kind of things seem to like reemerge. So I love to keep a bit of mystery around it because this feels like maybe there was um, somebody drawing in intelligence from other places. Mm -hmm. And even the Enneagram talks about that, that, you know, we could be each of the types is either sort of more of a head centered, a heart centered or a body centered type. And so they, we talk about how do we access the three centers of knowing or the three centers of wisdom, the head, the heart, and the body. Because I guarantee you, you know, you look at things in your whole life, your body will tell you often before your head or your heart knows what's happening. Your body knows something that's happening. You've got that yeah. fist in your neck, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. there's a fist in your stomach. And then you realize yeah. that's actually connected to because I'm upset about the thing that happened two days ago still. Yeah, mm -hmm. we talked about that a lot with, uh, we interviewed someone who practices human design. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that one, but yeah. she talked a lot about that, about that same idea of getting back to the wholeness of who you are and that really bypassing the, the mind and getting in touch with what the body knows is the best thing to do is, is like a yeah. huge part of that system. So, yeah, because that I think is a truth that kind of, I think ebbs and flows in history, the sense of there's more than just the mind. You know, I think there's, we went kind of to one extreme, right? Of being like letting blood to get disease out to then like, let's be scientific and find all these things. And I think maybe we went to an extreme with that, that then we find our way back with a pendulum, I think. But I think it's something that we do know, you know, even if it's, oh, my grandma always said, mm -hmm. you know. Like, why would anybody want to, do a test or get, you know, do an interview where you might understand what type you lead with is so that you then have a place of orientation to go then move into the bigger conversations around. So um, if I lead with type three, then how do I develop so that that is not a limiting thing in my life? Mm -hmm. Start from a place of certainty, which the mind really loves, right? We love certainty, like right in these times. And so a little bit of certainty can help so that we can hang out in the unknown and the mystery a little bit more. I love that idea that you're doing it sort of so you know how not to be limited by it, not just so you go, okay, this is my identity now. And, uh, you yeah. know, that's a yeah. really interesting way of framing it. Yeah, no, nobody that teaches the Enneagram wants anybody to walk away with that this is now a way to be in a box. And uh, the whole thing is so that you can be outside of a box. Love that. What was that training like? It was phenomenal. I did it with the Narrative Enneagram School. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a few schools out there, but they were the ones that I did it with. I think their their website is enneagramworldwide.com. And just love the teachers. The whole style is um, through sort of panels of people just talking about their lives and being asked questions. So if I was to ask both of you, if you don't mind. Um, Please, ask away. Uh, what would you say is your deepest fear? I'd say maybe um, not being seen. My, I think I arrived at uh, everyone will leave me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so mine would be, and they're all very close, right? Yeah. All circling in the same space. Um, but mine would be something like um, that I'll be rejected. Um, and that's the language I put on it, but it's really that, that I won't matter. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I won't have been valuable. Um, and I won't have, as a type three, that I won't have been seen to be valuable because the threes really want to be seen. Mm -hmm. Resonates with me. No, almost as I know, me too. I mean, that's high <laughs> up there too. I definitely, I want to be special, you know. And so, and so that, and so to that point is right. You both just said, oh, that resonates. And you may not lead with a type three, but you resonate with that aspect of the threeness. And that just shows you that we contain all aspects yeah. of the Enneagram. There still will be one sort of type structure that we lead with. And you'll notice it mostly in times of stress. You'll be like, it'll show up. That'll really reveal itself. Yes, I saw that on the thing. It was the integration, disintegration or something. Yeah, lines right? of integration, lines of disintegration. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a type three, so just the type three, their sort of nickname is the achiever or the performer. Mm -hmm. So we're also known as the chameleons. We can change our change our colors to meet the situation, productive and uh, highly adaptable. So all of those things are really great, healthy things uh, when they're in balance. But when they're out of balance, then we, because we're so connected to achieving, we move very quickly and we'll often ignore what we're actually feeling. So you will notice that how a three, a type three will sort of deal with their um, uh, uncomfortable emotions is by action. Instead of sitting down and slowing down and having a conversation about it, they'll want to do something. So that the movement of integration for a three can be more towards the nine, which is just um, sort of opening up um, and um, moving more sort of towards the place of being a peacemaker um, and not being so driven to achieve. And where that comes from is why I asked you about the fear is because inherent in all of the, the structures is there's a core fear that we all have. Um, and for the threes, the fear is um, really about like failing ultimately. And where from is at a very young age, we've mistaken admiration for love. So at some age, I heard, I heard, you're doing a really good job. So I kept hearing what I was doing and the fact that I was doing it well, I was being rewarded for that. So then I was like, oh, that's what love is. That look, I'm getting paid attention to, I'm being seen here. So I'm just going to keep doing and I'm going to keep achieving and I'm going to keep performing well in order to get that love. So then any criticism or potential failure was just a no-no to the point where you wouldn't even compete if you knew you wouldn't win. Okay. I must be a type three. <laughs> I remember like that. How many times have I you said and that I to both, you? No, you and I both, yeah. this was one of our questions. So we took that test and I don't know if you saw our things or if that's like the most uh, reliable source, but we both scored something else first and then type three was like our next biggest hit and i got like 95 percent match with type three but i got 98 percent with type eight so yeah mm -hmm. i think we're both resonating with this narrative on some level yeah well i would just say the tests are great um you know the i the free ones i've had less sort of accuracy when people have shared them with me the again the enneagram worldwide.com and i think the enneagram institute they have like ten dollar ones uh, mm -hmm. The one I love about the enneagramworldwide.com has got, uh, they actually show you some videos of people talking. So they'll give you your like results and they'll say, here are your top three that you 
that you scored and then they'll give videos of people talking and then you'll be able to actually hear it and you'll be like oh that's more like how i sound uh, right okay that's interesting that's another, another way to look at it uh, yeah i'm curious to like go and take it again after our conversation yeah. and see if that's, that's always dangerous i always feel like i'm like gaming the system after i hear uh, too much information <laughs> lila's always we, we were taking the test and she was like judging the answers even before she put them out she was like but if i answer this it means i'm a horrible person i was like why are you judging nobody's trying to trap you in these questions you're just doing it for you is that a type eight thing i don't know <laughs> uh well it could be it could be in all the types but it the thing about the enneagram is the behavior you could have the same behavior with a different motivation and so behavior right. is where a lot of people pay attention to but actually what you're trying to pay attention mm. Underlying motivation behind the behavior, which is where it gets really sort of deeper and more subtle. So, mm. you know, a type one, very achievement oriented as well. And so, is it, so a type one and three are very, they're very much achievement, very productive people, and they're doing things, but they're doing them for different reasons. Yeah. And that really goes into what you were saying about knowing your type so that, that you can get out of the traps yeah. where two people might be behaving the same way, but for vastly different reasons. And for one person, I might be completely unhealthy. For the other, it might be healthy. So exactly, that's very, very interesting. So that was one of the questions we had. And maybe you're saying that this, we took the wrong test to begin with, but is it common for people to get such high matches with multiple types? Or what, what do you do then? Because the one that you get the highest type with has its, um, it's wing or it's whatever, and it's not going to be the type, the other type that I got per se. So what do you do with that information? It can be common for people to on those tests to get lots of sort of high scores on, on, on a number of them. And then some people it's just really clear cut, but even still the best way to do this is to have a conversation with somebody. Got it. The other thing is, uh, there's an amazing book. Uh, it's a very simple one. The essential Enneagram, David Daniels, he's got, incredible explanation like uh, narrative in there with a very simple like paper-based test as well and that is a really great sort of resource i will be a challenger if you're if you're stopping me from being productive i challenge you my way you're potentially at a very sub subconscious level you're pot potentially robbing me of love that's what i think so that's where that like when we all go to unhealthy behaviors, that's what's really behind them. And so the Enneagram is trying to help us know that and be deeply self-aware about that for ourselves so that we can start to see those behaviors and kind of hold them up in the light of our self-awareness and go, oh, that's what that is. As opposed to, I'm a really bad person for feeling this way or um, having that kind of energy. That's what that is. So now how do I want to be in relationship with that? Mm. That brings me to part two of sort of this conversation, which you touched on, which is actually how it gets applied to team building and partnership. And can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, and I totally want to ask both of you lots of questions to find out more about your type. But well, we yes, want we to do that, do that more that than anything. Okay. Just make sure yeah. we get some information out there first. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the way I've done it with teams is you, you put down uh, nine piece of paper with one to nine in a circle on the floor and then you walk around and you describe very simply you describe each of the nine types and you say to people go stand wherever you resonate 
And if you hear another description that resonates more, move there. Mm. At some point, you'll feel conflicted. And that's okay. Just notice the points of confliction. And so then you can have a team of 20 people or 30 people spread out in this circle. And then you start to see, oh, look, there's all of these people that are here in the nine. And there's nobody over here in the three. And there's lots of people in the one. And that starts to show you what the culture is of the team, the dominant. We talk about dominance and subcultures in society all the time. Uh, so then you start to see dominance and subcultures in teams as well and how that's actually driving things like communication and decision making. And so just at least bringing that to the surface, people are like, oh, it's not, it's not actually about me and you having a problem as individuals. It's about not understanding that we just show up in the world differently. And from that place, then it sort of depersonalizes things again, has more of a sort of collective awareness. And then people can start to make decisions around, well, how do we balance the multiple needs rather than just having the dominant culture make the run the show? Yeah. It's like Lila and I have had multiple laughs and conversations about, I'm a morning person. Like I'm up at seven 30 and Lila's like asleep at like three. So like sometimes our schedules are completely different and it's just like, all right, it's knowing that like, I I'll text her in the morning. I'll be like, just text me when you're up, you know, like there's, and it's been really nice yeah. actually for me to be like, this email does not need to be answered right now. It can wait a few yeah. hours until Lila's up. <laughs> or and that, like, there could has be been really beneficial for me. An assumption that like, okay, the morning person is the productive person and you probably are, but also, you know, that I'm up at like midnight editing sound until two in the morning. Like I'm still going to be doing my my share it's just gonna happen in a different and another time. time yeah yeah again it's the sort of reductionist lens that we often apply to everything in life is like no this is the way to do it and it's usually based on my cognitive bias of how i live my life is the only way to live mm. life somebody else is living their life a slightly different way to me they must be wrong and therefore <laughs> they should be judged and othered and then from that place of judging and othering i'm going to interact with them and then we just start to like that's not snowball work environment and at a society level we have terrible things happening yeah so it's important when you're taking these tests and that like again to reiterate that you're you're not approaching it from a place of putting yourself further into a different box and going well i'm a two and you're a seven yeah. we're different or whatever but more from a place of just identifying everybody's sort of strengths weaknesses motivations and being able to say like we're all working to the same goal and we're just approaching it differently and we have to respect that about each other. Yeah. That you can better take care of people when you know what their needs are and how how they go about life. Now I want my parents to take this test. And then, so the other thing you can do then is you're working with people or leading people, if you know the type that they lead with, then how you give them feedback is completely different. I have a, a question. This is like, also leading back to another episode of ours where we looked at the DSM and how they um, made an effort to have like cultural differences taken into account when looking at symptoms. And I'm wondering if there's something equivalent with the Enneagram or if it really feels completely universal. Because mm. I feel like sometimes there's some cultures where hard work is just kind of the baseline for people, whether that's like on a country level, whether that's on a town, a family mm -hmm. or whatever, that then does that that's a great question. change when some people are like, no, I'm living in this commune yeah. and we're all in it together. And that's the baseline. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I'm curious about that. First of all, where's the commune? It sounds great. 
<laughs> right? Until um, we get so, into a guy up top who's controlling everyone and taking their money and buying six Rolls Royces. That's where I, you lose me. You're so cynical. It's such a oh good show God. on Netflix, though, isn't it? Yeah. Documentary. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so the. So sorry, I, I derail us a lot. The, <laughs> the um, cultural. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So the, the cultural piece to it is I don't know if they've done a huge. Um, so if they've done deep research into that to try to see the influence there. Uh, but what I would say is so, like in the United States of America, it has a dominant culture, which is white and masculine, uh, uh, Christian, and Christian, which is Protestant, right? That's the, the dominant sort of culture is the sort of Protestant thing. Protestant and Protestant work ethic. Protestant work ethic. It's me and God alone. You can get a whole country that's built off this culture of individualism, right? It's me by myself. And you build that up and... So then you start, what starts to happen is, I don't know if that then grows more of that sort of uh, types in the country, but what it does is it socially rewards those types. And that's where you see that happening. And you see that the same with the Myers-Briggs. I've trained in the Myers-Briggs as well. Certain types are rewarded. More. But that's, that's a great point because I think that gets back to another question that we talked a lot about in the human design one, or but this idea of, what you may inherently be and then what you're socialized to be and depending on how far your inherent type is from that more socially rewarded norm that will increase the frustration you feel in trying to live out your life and right. mm -hmm. there is this chicken and the egg thing that you touched on of like am i social am i this type because of my culture or how much of that is back to that spiritual side of things something that i kind of just come into the world with this way of being or you talked about formative moments in childhood. So maybe you became mm -hmm. this type because you were rewarded in a certain way as a child and associate being loved with that. You know, do you have a sense of how much of it is from somewhere internal and how much of it is socialized? Or is there a thought on that in the system of Enneagram? I think a lot of people think about that um, in all of these. Um, I don't know if some people will have a definitive answer to it. Mine is always, it's like, yes, all of the above. Right. All of these things are whether they're actually influencing or they're just reinforcing, right? You may have been born in with certain, like a software system that's already locked and loaded and ready to go. And then all of your experiences just reinforce that. Or maybe you had no coding and it was uh, all from your experiences that that coding sort of got built. I don't like, I don't know if any of us will ever answer that. Um, and you can't answer that. <laughs> but but certain types. Are you telling me you don't know the meaning of life? <laughs> but certain types. But certain types are very fascinated with those kinds of questions. Well, <laughs> the way I the way I sort of look at this is, you try to understand what your type is, and if you get if you're confused about it, try a few of them on. Great. Today I'm leading with type eight. Does that resonate with me? Or actually. Next week, I'm going to lead with type three. Does that resonate more with me? Now, having, having lived my week, and I look back at my week, and I read the description of three, did that feel true or not? And was that the dominant type for me? But then from that place of kind of maybe getting that sort of point of certainty, then how do I, how do I expand my, my ability to respond to the world around me way beyond just how my type might be? At the heart of great leadership is answering this question all the time over and over again. It's just what is needed here? 
instead of answering how am I doing as a leader or what's needed from me or any of these things, it's just what's needed here and being so present with what's happening here. If we can do that, then, then you start to like melt away from just being a three or just being a seven or just being a four and you start to just meet the needs of the situation. And that's when you start to move into that sort of holistic space that the Enneagram can really invite you into. The Enneagram, if you can approach it from a spiritual, psychological, and somatic perspective, you can get so much more from it. Shall we get into types? Yeah. You mentioned that like they fall into this head, heart, and body type categories, which can you tell us which go in which place? Yeah. So the eights, nines, and ones are the body types. The uh, twos, threes, and fours are the heart types and the um, five, six, and sevens are the head types. And then there's a whole other layer to it around whether you are a self-preserving type, a, a social type, or a what they sometimes call sexual type or one-on-one type. And that's kind of, you know, where does your attention go to? So an example might be, okay, we're going to a, a barbecue, at the barbecue, is my attention on sort of self? Is it on a one-on, are you the person having a deep, meaningful conversation? Or are you or are you in the group? Is your attention going to the group? Well, I will say this. I would, first, I would rather host the barbecue. And mm-hmm. in that case, it would be on the group more. And so too, I would hate to show up by myself to someone else's barbecue. <laughs> Mm, I don't mind. I'll show up by You're myself great at that. to anything. Yeah. I, that was yeah. one of the first things I noticed and admired about you. I, Because Naima and I are newish friends, but I invited you to a party pretty recently after meeting you. And it was a party where I was celebrating 15 years of friendship with one of my oldest friends. And it was a girls' night. And then I had this thought. And it was basically Lila and all these women that you'd known for like 10 years. Yeah. And me, I was like, met you two weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. And I had this thought too, because I was like, wow, I hope this new friend doesn't feel weird or awkward. And it was like, the minute you walked in, I didn't even have to think about that for a second. I, If, I, if it was me, I would have gone to your party and like stayed by you. And I was so like, Lila, why would you, in that situation, why would you, why were you so concerned Apart from just, you know, that you obviously care, why, why else were you so concerned? Um, probably because I really liked Naima and I was excited to have a new friend and I wanted to make sure that she would still like me at the end of this night. Yeah. I wanted to, yeah, like I want to have that close relationship with her, with the other friend. Like I didn't want to risk losing my ranking with any of these people or something i don't know that sounds terrible but <laughs> no stop judging everything you say it doesn't so, sound terrible but, but listen this is another thing you can do when you're leading teams you can listen to language mm. lila is doing that right yeah there's like a self judging mm-hmm. right yeah got a couple more questions for you um if you were to think about emo- human emotions as a piano Yes. Play the full piano, or do you feel that you play just an octave or two? I feel like I play the whole piano. Okay. It's funny though, this is a, I mean, I won't won't get into it too much. I feel like I'm playing the whole fucking piano. And then I've talked to people who are like, 
no, you present very mm -hmm. cool and collected. And so then when you suddenly are like banging up at the top of the octave or the bottom, everybody's like, whoa, where did that come from? But yeah. I think of myself as very emotional. I have this whole feeling and I guess, mm -hmm. but I lead from this place of like, hello, you know. So yeah. then when I suddenly I'm like, oh, people are. Okay, you're doing a crossword. You're doing a crossword and um, trying to get an answer. You're like, you're trying to finish off the answers. Uh, how do you feel about looking up the answer? I will wait as long as I can before I do it. And then I will do it if it's the only way to move forward. But I feel like, fuck, I'm not as smart as I want to be. Okay. Wow, exactly the same <laughs> I have. Uh, how important is integrity to you? Very important. Why is it so important? Being a person of your word is very important mm -hmm. for the quality of the relationships you can build in your life. And yeah. I don't know. I think sometimes I can I can feel when my own integrity is compromised too, and it and it's like it's a shitty feeling even if I mm -hmm. go there. I don't know. Yeah. What about um, what about fairness? Oh, when yeah. I say that word, what comes to mind for you? Um, what comes to mind to me is it's not fair. Uh, I I think fairness is like an illusion. I don't think it exists in the world, but I also feel like that is something that's bothered me since I was a little kid. Like the idea of getting not getting credit that you deserve or getting credit you don't deserve both make me equally like very uncomfortable. Yeah. Would you prefer to do something quickly or to do it right? I mean, I think overall, I want to be doing things right. Naima and yeah. I talk about perfection paralysis a lot. Like, I probably would just rather not do something at all until I know how to do it. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I have to just be like, I just need to fucking do this and like just have it be done. Uh, when you feel least stressed, how do you, how do people describe you? Loving. I think people, just, my closest friends would describe me as like very nurturing. Yeah. And a sense of openness. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think I am open in a, like, I don't know, just even answering all these questions with two long answers, I'm pretty open. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you for uh, entertaining my questions. Um, one for you is, uh, how does anger show up for you? I get kind of righteous. I'll, I'll like monologue about something or like list my grievances. And then I'm trying to outgrow a sensation of sort of short circuiting sometimes with something that's not working out or frustrating me. Cool. There's a French expression that says when you get angry like that, it's um, la moutarde me montonne, like mustard, mustard. Is getting in my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll let you off the hook. Okay. Whew. Good job. What does it all mean? That she's a wonderful human being. Yes, she is. Yes. You'd say that to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, so I asked you some very specific questions, having read what you shared with me previously. So normally I would ask you questions that would really sort of touch on all nine types, but I had a sense of what you'd shared with me and what we had been just in this interview. Um, so a, a type was sort of appearing to me, but uh, the number one, I would be very curious about the number one for you. Reformer. Uh, like me. The reformer. So the idea that you see things and you want them to be better. 
you want to improve and challenge things so that they can be um, so that they can be better. That sort of sense of like fairness and justice is really important. And then your sort of lines of uh, integration are with the four and the seven. So, uh, you know, when one's really relaxed, they're very loving and relational and um, they've got sort of a, a natural curiosity and they're very interested in many things. And there's kind of like a, they let go of their grip on right and wrong and black and white and binary. And they're just like, oh, they relax into the seven, which is like the epicure, which loves to like taste a little bit of everything in life. Mm. I do love to travel. And then maybe with your, your line of disintegration down to the four, you maybe that's where those emotions, the broader spectrum of the emotions start to show up. And you, you very early on in the interview, you said some words like, when I asked you about your deepest fear, you said something like um, of not being, um, sort of not being enough. And the, the fours, yeah. this, this fours hold this like paradox of both feeling like they are too much for everybody. And also at the same time, feeling like they're not enough. Yeah. And, for sure. uh, and you, and you, when you were answering the quest, when we were talking about answering the questions on the test, you were like, um, but I'm unique. You were like, I'm unique. I, how do I fit in? I don't want to be in this box. And that's it. the fours when they, when you give them the Enneagram thing, they're like, I don't even do it. I don't want yeah. to do it because there's a chance that I won't be unique. Yeah, I'm like, which one's the best one? Which one's the rarest one? I want yeah. to know. Yeah. <laughs> which I, so, and then the judgment of the one is going, that's a terrible thing to think. This is not a tattoo of number one floor number four as well because it could be that actually you lead from four and you're but you're spending more time in your sort of in the oneness so explore those i'm still challenging but i'll let it go <laughs> and so ones and eights get very mistyped with each other that's interesting so why don't i read you something real quick so ones and eights Perfectionists and protectors can be considered look-alike types. Both are body center types and are concerned with rightness, justice, truth, and fairness. Wow, so interesting. So, But that resonates with me. I feel like that resentment. Yeah. I mean, you were saying um, at the beginning, you were like, oh, maybe three, and then you jumped over to five, and now you're hanging out at one. Yeah, so I got one as my like on the test as my yeah. number one and then three yeah but i don't know i i identify with the we're all types yeah for sure <laughs> like in everything i'm yeah. finding something yeah there you go well there you go let me ask you Naima, about um like what is it like when somebody tries to slow you down infuriating and i find that like i everything is a potential to slow me down like if my roommate hasn't emptied the dishwasher and I did it the last time, I'm like, how dare you take three minutes out of my day when I could be answering an email right now? And then of course I breathe and I empty the dishwasher and I enjoy emptying the dishwasher because I love putting things away. I love order and I love being neat. So in a way it is a gift, but I definitely am like, three minutes I could have been meditating or something. Yeah. Yes. So I have the same thing with my uh, poor wife and with the dishwasher, she like, on the top row, she puts the bowls in a different way, but least <gasps> efficient. Yes. And three. Me too. I'm constantly rearranging. Me too. I'm always like, okay, thanks for trying. I'm going to take all these cups out, put them back in. I know. And why does that fork doing with those knives? Like, let's. So, and here's the thing Lila might do it because it's the right way to do it. 
Naima, you might do it because it's the most efficient way to do it. And so you both be rearranging the um, dishwasher and annoying your poor roommates. Uh, the reason you're doing it is different. And that's again, coming to that layer below behavior for the Enneagram is where we, we want to pay attention to what's the ultimate ideal that you're moving towards and the fear that you're moving away from. So let me read you this. So that, um, because you talked about one on the test, but you resonated a little bit with three. So perfectionists and performers can be considered lookalike types because they are both achievers. Both can be goal oriented, competency oriented and success oriented with workaholic tendencies. The differences are that perfectionists are more likely to be handed by their inner critic, which motivates them to do what is judged right by the high standards of the critic while performers are more driven to succeed and to change their image and approach, even cutting corners if necessary to get to the goal and be recognized for their accomplishments. That's really hard because I, both of them feel really true. I don't know. That's so let's come back to the, come back to the dishwasher, right? Mm. <laughs> Real life example. So when you're looking at your poor, wonderful roommates, uh, artwork in the dishwasher, is it, you talked about it, that this was going to slow you down. Is, it, is that really the feeling that's going on for you? Or is it something about, no, the knives should be together because the knives should be together. Hard to explain. It comes from a sense of like, this is the way it should be done. It's efficient. Like if you put it this way, it's not going to get cleaned, but there's also, it's also tinted with some anger that's not directed at my roommate, but that's kind of directed at myself or at misplaced on someone else or something, a feeling like, a feeling like, oh, of course I'm wronged when it has nothing to do with the dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would say to you is I would hang out with both of those types. And I think there's a pretty great example, right? You just, you want to, you want to try to get closer to where, like the sort of orbit of where you're, um, how you're leading life and then just try them on and like, Hey, does this jacket fit? Yes. No. Does this other jacket fit? And you just like, you approach it with a gentleness that we don't approach life with. We don't approach yeah. development with a gentleness. Um, pretty much every, every exercise in self-development and in spiritual development is about helping us relax. Mm. Doing is just relax, yeah. not like, Netflix relax, but truly to relax all of the conditioning and all of the, like all of the sort of scaffolding that we have built up in order for us to feel safe and a sense of love and a sense of belonging, all of that scaffolding that we built up around us. Every one of those exercises is trying to help us relax that scaffolding so that what's there in our essence can just be there. Surrender. Yeah. And just surrender to, uh, maybe, a. uh, more essential sense of who we are. Um, and that's what certainly the Enneagram is trying to invite people into. And I think with these things is, you know, you could very, we could very easily end this. And the two of you are now going to, with a very subtle violence, dive into exploring this more. But yeah. like from a place of, I don't know, and that's a problem, or I'm not enough and that's a problem, or, uh, this will solve my problems because there's an inherent problem right now. And God, wouldn't it be just wonderful to just do this from a place of wonder and curiosity like you would have when you were three years old? 
Mm -hmm. Because that's like, we forget in all of this yearning to really remember our essential nature, we forget the sweetness, right? That's possible. And yeah, I just really, I hope people, I hope people are more gentle with themselves all the time. We definitely deserve and need that. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That's, I feel like I have thoughts, but I feel like that is just the most beautiful way to end this episode. Yeah. So we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think this is going to be a really beautiful episode for a lot of people. Absolutely. I, yeah. And I love the emphasis on the relational aspect as well of like seeing this as a tool to help find synergy with others as well as just picking at the self. Yeah. Yes. Gets us out of our heads. This is a lifesaver for romantic relationships. Mm. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. What a conversation. What a Robert conversation. Is, is he a nine? Because he is so peaceful and so... He's just an enlightened three. Very enlightened person. I feel like if that's what the Enneagram does for you, I'm in. I know. You know? I, <laughs> I, I love that idea of you can be observing the same behavior and it's having different motivations. And the idea like that's a great way to apply to understanding a partner or a team or a friend is like, I'm seeing this behavior, I might ascribe a certain meaning to it. But if I know you better, I can have a deeper understanding for why, why that's really happening. And then I can address it from that place of understanding instead of judgment or assumption. Mm-hmm. That being said, this is a question I have still about this and several of these other how does it function if you can't stand around, you know, typing everybody? Not everyone is playing the same game and getting on this train. So, like, that is one limitation I see with some of these where I'm like, unless we get everyone we know to take this test and do it the way that we just did. I love the way he, he talked us through the questions because. Yes, definitely. And but that's the thing is, like, it stirs up curiosity. Because then yes. I'm like, oh, I wonder what my parents' types yeah. are. And how did that inform what type I am? And and blah, blah, blah. And I do think it is helpful, but I think there's also part of it that's like, the more you know the modality, the more you can get a sense of what type people are just, apply just by talking to them. But then that feels kind of you know, like, being, you're still kind of assuming, I don't know. I'm, yeah, maybe, but it can be, I feel like there's, a, again, the motivation of like, I'm assuming this about you so that I can be kinder to you versus I'm assuming this about you so I can judge you. Yeah. Right? That maybe it's like, oh, I think this person might be a nine, and so I'll give them more space mm. versus yeah. this person's a fucking nine. Ugh, I'll give them more space, I guess. Yeah. You know? And that was today's acting lesson from Naima about delivery. <laughs> you see how different that same line reading was? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else are my wrap-up thoughts. Oh, my God. Okay. What a lovely man. And came at us with such... Um, knowledge and humility he was like i'm not an expert and everyone keeps saying that all these people are so humble i'm not an expert but i have forty thousand resources for you and i took the course and i practice it and i know everything yeah and we're like we're not experts but listen to us talk (laughs) i know (laughs) i love that 
that we were able to touch on a bunch of different applications that there is the personal, there's the relationship, uh-huh. and then there's also like in work. I mean, I'm a little nervous about like people getting pigeonholed and being like, oh, you're this. And so I can't work with you. Like, but I actually like think the way that, that was he seems whole, to be teaching. Yeah, it. that was his whole point is it's like, you're this. So this is how I can work with you. And not even you're this. He made that very clear off the top. You lead from this place. Yes, you lead from this place. That's definitely what I'm going to keep with me is leading from something. Yeah. And how how does that apply to other things in my life? Like, oh yeah, I lead as an actor. But that doesn't mean that that's the only thing I am and that that defines me, mm-hmm. right? That then, Because then that you get in a dangerous place. Okay, I lead in this moment. I'm leading as a friend. That doesn't mean I'm putting on the wayside all the work I have to do, but I'm leading as a friend. So using that as as kind of a metric or a nice reminder that we are yeah. complex. And I love also what he said about when you get down to the core issue or motivation or whatever, it often comes back to this idea, this fear for people. If you're robbing me of love or like, there, everyone just wants love and we have these different ways that we've learned or are prone to trying to get that. And if you can understand that that is the basic human fear, that gives you so much more, you know, empathy and space around your reactions to people. Yeah. And it's also more generosity. I think if you're scared of people taking away your love, you're not going to give your love away so easily because you think, oh, it's finite. And if I don't get it from this person, I'm never going to get it again. But if you're like, oh, there's just an abundance of it, then all right, let me sprinkle some love on this person. What am I, what have I got to lose? And another thing I think that's been tying into all our conversations about box checking, he said that this is really a framework to figure out how you can be outside of a box, he said. And how, mm-hmm. how do I not become limited by this type? So I love that idea. And I don't know if that's Enneagram as a whole or just his approach or whatever, but that, that idea of like, I'm going to figure this out so that it doesn't limit me. Not so that I can just like mm-hmm. build up an identity that falls into this column. That I really appreciated. Yeah. And I think that that is something I don't hear a lot mm. about in modalities. And even with Enneagram, people are so used to be like, oh, this is my type. This is this. But having like, I lead with this and, and it's not so static, you know, that I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on that part. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on anything that is there to help me know myself better. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on kind of what you were saying about like the context of it all. Like you're using it for yourself and for friendships, like using it to get out sometimes of like the overly focused on the self. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm still, jury's still out on, I guess we didn't the talk sacred about the geometry. jury. Yes. The sacred geometry. I'm like, we'll see what that's about. But, um, but, but I guess I think the, the part of that that appeals to me is this idea that he sort of alluded to of like getting in touch with something that has been floating around in our consciousness for a long time. And then somebody will eventually like put words to it. Yeah. I would say overall, I'm having a sip of this Kool-Aid. Me too. Especially a gentle sip of this Kool-Aid. I like what he said about being more gentle yeah. with ourselves. I could definitely stand to be more gentle with myself in my self-exploration and self-knowledge. Like I'm not necessarily, I treat myself as a nut to be cracked open instead of just like a book <laughs> to peruse, you know? 
I feel like we learned a lot about ourselves today. Yeah, I think we learned a lot about ourselves today. And I think learned a lot about how we learn about ourselves. Yes. And I think that that is just as precious and valuable. I loved that this modality was like, I'm going to have a conversation and it was very qualitative. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to listen to your response and find my way to the answer through that conversation. That I really appreciated about the Enneagram. Next week, we've got some dream analysis. Oh yeah. That's a whole other modality and a whole other way to Deep dive into our psyches next week. I'm nervous, but excited. Yeah, it's going to get personal again. That was personal today. People are, if we we keep all that in, people are going to learn a lot about us. This has been another episode of Drinking the Kool-Aid with Laila Naima. Thanks for tuning in. Our music is made by Sammy Miller and Molly Miller. Our artwork is by the wonderful Charlotte Beach. Editing done by Laila Naima. Sorry. We hope you'll join us again next time for another episode of Drinking the Kool-Aid with Naima and Lila. Feel free to leave a comment and let us know if you're drinking the Kool-Aid.